Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. In this episode, you will be listening to Fear to Freedom, Unlock the Unstoppable You with David Goggins. Get access to the Mental Mastery Program and other exclusive episodes by becoming a subscriber. Enjoy. I was born with a very abusive father, um, beat his eye on me every day, was an alcoholic. I ended up suffering with um, toxic stress. The, the last incident that happened in our family was my dad came home one night from work real drunk. And when he got drunk, he got real violent. He um, had me go in the room, take all my clothes off. This was very typical. It's a typical day for our family. And, you know, you didn't have to do anything like major for him to beat your ass. He, whatever. he just get mad and just beat you up. So I was about eight years old. And my dad had me go in the bedroom. He was very tactical, mind tactics. Had me lay on the bed, 90-degree angle, so my butt was hanging off. Door shut, so my back was facing the door. And I waited there for 45 minutes. He walked up and was beating me all over the place. My mom saw it. She walked in, and it was one of the worst beatings I ever got. She said something to him, set him off. She smacked, you know, he smacked her in the face, knocked her out, grabbed her by her hair, dragged her down the stairs by her hair. We ended up leaving Buffalo, New York, and we went to a small town in Brazil, Indiana. So at this time, my mom's, you know, she did this for 17 years. I did it for eight. And her soul was taken by him. I was all messed up, had a horrible foundation, and we moved to a place called Brazil, Indiana. Brazil, Indiana was about... 15 minutes from Centerpoint. Centerpoint was the hub of the KKK at the time. Uh, so there's about five black families. We were one of them. So coming from this foundation from Buffalo, New York, and moving to this area, um, it was horrible for me. But when you're young, you know, being a young black kid with a bunch of whites wasn't that bad. And like I said, about five black families. But I didn't realize I had a severe learning disability because like when I was growing up, I never went to school. My dad had us work in the skating rink, the family business. He didn't believe in going to school. So fast forward, my, my third grade year comes, and I'm copying the whole time. I'm cheating on every test because they want to put me in a special school. We all know what special means. You're about to be, you know, have a nice title on you for the rest of your life. So when I heard this, I started just cheating. So when I got to my junior year in high school, I had a third grade reading level. My mom never saw a report card. We lived in a $7 a month place. We lived in a government subsidized apartment, food stamps, all that good stuff. And um, around my, when I was about 14 years old, my mom met a guy. So we moved from Brazil, Indiana, to Indianapolis, Indiana. He got murdered. When he got murdered, we moved back to Indianapolis, Indiana, or my fault, Brazil, Indiana. By this time, the kids were grown. And when you're young, they don't know black and white. You're just David Goggins. When you get in high school, they start realizing you look a little different. So I got my car. My first car I ever got was a brown citation. I pull up to school, leave it there all day, come out of school and spray paint on it. was, nigger, we're going to kill you. So this went on from my sophomore year to my senior year. But my junior year, I was like, I got to get the hell out of Brazil, Indiana. And I was like, I want to go in the Air Force. I had to get out of here. Let me join the military. So I went to the military, and, and uh, the guy was like, hey, you got to take an ASVAB test. Having a third grade reading level, I didn't know he had to take a test to get in the military. So the ASVAB test, I sit down trying to take it, and I got a 20 the first time. 
So I went back home and got my best friend Johnny so I can copy off of him. Johnny came in, took the test. He had test A, I had test B. So I couldn't cheat. So long story short, you get three chances to take this ASVAB test. On the third chance, I had six months to pretty much study for this test. That's when my whole life got revealed to my mom. She was always gone. She knew I was flunking out of school. She knew I wasn't going to school because I was getting, you know, getting bullied, getting called nigger, all this other stuff. So I walk in to my mom what's going on. We didn't have much money, so she got me a tutor for one hour a week that cost 15 bucks. So I had six months, four hours a month to study. And what the tutor realized was I can't retain anything from all the toxic stress. I don't know if it's a learning disability or what. I just can't retain stuff. My, my mind was just messed up from my life. So how I learned was I had to get spiral notebooks. And literally, if I had a manual, I had to write down every single word of the manual. So it may take you an hour to learn. It would take me six or seven days to learn and just literally write it down. So I didn't really retain it. I just memorized it. So I can go in my mind right now. I remember page 71, look at the question and go, okay, that's what I saw. That's how I remember it and put it down. So I ended up passing the test. I passed the test, go back, get in the Air Force, and I wanted to be an Air Force pararescueman. It's like a special operations guy. And I didn't know that um, blacks and water, uh, not so much. <laughs> I didn't know this, though. So in special ops, what gets everybody is the water. You know, and being that there's only 1% of all special operations that are black, had no idea at 19 years old this was the case, they give you this warning order. So now I passed this ASVAB test. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm going through this warning order, and it push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, all this stuff. And so I'm doing all this, but the last page has swimming. Okay, easy day. I went to uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever I went, I got a how-to book on swimming. <laughs> First page was easy, float, right? So my black ass gets in the water, and I'm like, okay, it's cool. <laughs> I didn't know any of this shit, all right? So I get in the water, and everything was literally, I taught myself everything in my whole life. So I get in the water and I lay back, I'm looking up, and I lawn dart to the bottom of the pool. I'm on the bottom of the pool literally walking like this, <laughs> looking up thinking, what the hell? So I can't even swim, so I push off, I grab the gunnel, the lifeguard sees me, comes over and says, hey, I've taught thousands of people how to swim. I said, okay, great, man. He goes, okay, look, just relax, you just need to relax. Swimming is all about relaxing. Okay, relax, lets me go, lawn dart to the bottom of the pool. I come up, he says, man, you're fucked. <laughs> I said, why, man? He goes, well, you're negative buoyant. I know what that was. I do now, obviously. Negative buoyancy is, you know, pretty much you sink in the daggone water. You can't float. So most of you white people out here can float. 70% of African Americans have heavier bone density, therefore, it's not too fun. It's like throwing a cat in the fucking water. So basically, I take the same mentality that I had to become this intelligent guy you all see today. And I applied that, yeah. Make me feel better. That's it. I'm lying. I'm dumb as shit. So anyway, I took that same mentality and I applied it to, you know, swimming. After several, several months, I can swim. So now I go into pararescue training. 
Get to the first day, second day, third day, I'm kicking butt. I'm doing great. A few days into training, they had the thing called water confidence. This special thing was not in the warning order. I know what this was. Basically what water confidence is is they drowned your ass. So they put 16-pound weight belts on you. Now I'm negative buoyant already. I sink to the bottom with just myself. <laughs> they put twin 80s on your back, and the whole idea is you're supposed to go down to the deep end with all this crap on. You have your fins on your feet, and there's a side of the pool. You're at the bottom, at, you know, so it's 10 foot. You're supposed to bound up. You can't swim up. Jump up, get up, and they say switch. You take your fins off your feet, put them on your hands, and this is all you can do to get up. So I would literally get like this high, and here's the water, and here are my lips. And this is all I was getting for air. So over this period of time, there's like 12 more events, and all these events are water confidence. This is what kicks you out of special operations trades. It's not swimming. It's not cold water. It's not yelling. They try to drown you. So basically, this went on for six more weeks. I didn't quit. It went from 200 guys to about 25 guys. I'm still in the class. So here I am going through training. I don't go to sleep for six weeks because I'm scared to death of the water. This program is 10 weeks long. After six weeks, they thought, well, the guys in the program are going to go on through for the training because these guys are going to make it. They're good to go. Roger that. So I went to the doctor. We all went to the doctor for a nice, huge, long, extensive medical test. They drew blood on me. Three days later, they got the results back. The doc calls me in the office and says, hey, David, you have sickle cell. Okay, sickle cell, for you all, you don't understand or know what it is. It's a blood disease that when you get under stressful situations or whatever, dehydration, your blood will sickle. When it sickles, stroke, heart attack, sudden death, all those great things that can happen to you. So in that period of time, I joined the Air Force, 175 pounds, came out at 297. We'll get to that in a second. So they drew my blood, and they kept me out of training for a week. They didn't know if this sickle cell was going to kill me. They have a lot of you know, information about it. So I'm sitting there. So when you go from very uncomfortable to comfortable, like I was now, I wasn't in training, I wasn't drowning, you never want to go back to being uncomfortable again. So I'm sitting there relaxing, chilling out. I'm thinking, well, man, they're going to kick me out of here. I'm not going to quit, though. So this is good. I don't want to get back in the water ever again so I can leave training. So this is my thought process. The doc calls me in a week later. I'm skipping down to the doc's office. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm not going to quit, but they're kicking me out, so that's good for me. I walk in the doctor's office. He says, hey, man, we're putting you back into training. Ah, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, let me see. I've been in six weeks, seven weeks, three weeks left. I can tough it out. I'm walking back to my uh, compound, talking to the head of the school, walking to the CEO of the school. I said, hey, sir. They let me back into training. He goes, that's great. He goes, well, you missed a week of training. There's a very important block of training you missed. You have to start from day one. But when you're insecure like I was and you're afraid of everything like I used to be, you lie really fast because you don't want the person knowing that you're a punk. So I sat there and I said, you know what? The doc didn't know a whole bunch about sickle cell. So I'm not comfortable going back into training. The CEO bit off on it. And I, I never quit, but he gave me a medical out of pararescue. But you all know I quit. Then we'll go back in the water. But I ain't telling anybody that for several years. So in that time frame, four years, that became 297 pounds. Very minimal education, as you all know. 
and I get a job spraying for cockroaches at Ecolab, okay? Yeah, it's a good job. So I don't like cockroaches, though. <laughs> so I'm making about $1,000 a month spraying for cockroaches, and I'm working from 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning. This is for about six months. And my nightly, or so at 7 o'clock in the morning, I would go to Steak and Shake, my last stop, spray them down, get a large chocolate milkshake, go to, across the street to 7-Eleven, get a box of mini donuts, chocolate donuts, because I had a 45-minute commute home. I was depressed, and food felt good. So I'm driving home, sipping my shake, eating my donuts, chilling out, listening to the radio. I get home this day, and my routine was to get home, walk in the door, turn the TV on, walk in the back, start taking a shower. This particular day, the TV came on, and they said, world's toughest training, Navy, whatever. Get my towel, which could barely fit me. My ass was so big, I had to pinch it like this. So I come back down, I sit down, and all this shit just falls out. So I'm watching TV, and I'm like, my God, man, those guys are fucking nuts. Carrying boats and laws, guys going through SEAL training. And wet and sandy, getting cold, jackhammers, not bubbles, chafed up, guys ringing the bell, just quitting left and right. At the end of the show, this commanding officer comes up at graduation. There's 22 guys that made it through. And the commanding officer says, we live in a world where, where, medi where mediocrity is often rewarded. These men detest mediocrity. And I sat there and I had time to reflect back on my life. Being bullied, coming from nothing, learning disability, messed up foundation. Life isn't fair at all. At all. So what are you going to do about it? I knew that no one was coming back to help me. No one was going to miracle me to be somebody special. Everybody that called me nigger, my dad, my mom, all my situations were on me now. And solely on me. So I had to start developing an indestructible mental toolbox. So I sat there on that couch and I realized, man, I am a piece of shit. And even though the world helped me get here, my false reality helped me even more. And listening to somebody else's dialogue further helped me get here. So I sat there and I had this bright idea, being 297 pounds, to go be a Navy SEAL. So the bright idea happens, 297, I watched this show. I finished my chocolate milkshake, and I said, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> so now the next two weeks, I'm calling these recruiters up. And, then when you, and so these guys are used to getting studs that want to be a Navy SEAL, not a 297-pound fat guy. So I'm calling the guys up, hey, man, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Okay, blah, 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 blah. We get to the last question. How much do you weigh? 297? Dial tone. Call somebody else. This went on for two weeks. So I call a guy named Steven Saljo. Last guy, I was giving up. Steven Salger was so busy, Navy recruiter, said, come on in. I don't have time to talk to you. So I'm driving in after work, chocolate milkshake in hand. I put my shake down. He looks at me and says, please don't tell me that you are David Goggins. I said, yeah, man, I got right here in my shirt, Goggins. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm being a smart ass. And he goes, man, you're, you know, you're, you're fat and you're black. I said, man, you're an observant motherfucker. Sorry, I cussed a little bit because my life was hard. So I don't want to water it down. I'm real. 
I'm real. I got about five more cuss words before I get cut off, though. So I sit there. He's laughing at me. I'm looking at him with this straight-up stoic face like, look, man, I'm being serious. So he humors me, takes me back to the scale. I step on the scale. So in front of the scale, it had a, a, a nice big chart. It was a height-weight chart. So to get the Navy, I could be six foot one and 191 pounds. That was it. I'm 297, he writes it down. He goes, man, you're a big boy. And he starts writing stuff down. He gets these huge manuals out and brings them out. You were in the Air Force before. Yeah, how many years? Four and a half. He's doing all these figures, calculating stuff up. How old are you? I'm 24 and a half years old. Okay, blah, 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 doing this. Next thing I know, he goes, hey, the program, the only program we can get you in to be a Navy SEAL is about to end in three months. You have to drop 106 pounds in three months. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> I got my chocolate milkshake and walked out. <laughs> so here I go. I go back to work, and I'm spraying for cockroaches at Ecolab, and I'm chilling out. And I'm like, you know what, man? Maybe I can just be the best Ecolab guy in the world. And I'm spraying for cockroaches, and I never really look for cockroach areas, so I just spray them. So there's these holes in the wall where you're supposed to find a hole in the kitchen, and you're supposed to find a column, and that goes along, and it kind of flushes out the cockroaches. If you find the right column, it's like, it's pay dirt. It's called the money spot. So I have my wand in this place I'm talking about. I can't talk about it because it's, you know, I signed a confidentiality agreement, okay? But it's called Old Country Buffet. <laughs> so I'm spraying for cockroaches, and if that's filmed, I'm killing you. <laughs> so I'm spraying for cockroaches, and my brownie falls because they had some good-ass brownies. So I pick up my brownie, and as I pick it up, I felt stuff. And I'm, I keep my head focused on the brownie. And I'm thinking, there's no way in hell I found that. And as I'm bending over, I had a big ass. And my mom would put socks. She would sew socks in my ass, in my, and that ripped out. And so I'm sitting, it's a bad, it's a bad time in my life. And I stayed in this position for a while, and I put my hands down here, and stuff's just falling on my neck. And I look up at the tile, and it's open, and stuff just is crawling around and falling around. I hit the money spot, people, all right? So I get my canister real slow, and I'm trying to shake my shirt out. I get my canister, I take my mask off. And I leave it there, and I get in my car, I start it up, I sit there for a second, and I drive home, and I quit my job. <laughs> so, yeah, done. But now, what am I going to do? Your best work has to come when you're least motivated. Where does that come from? It comes from basically, I had to stop thinking normal. I had to stop thinking normal. I can no longer be a common man walking around doing common things. But no one taught me this stuff. It wasn't like I had, you know, I paid a trainer to come train me. Jenny Craig didn't come down and miracle my ass. None of this happened. It was on me. And that's the thing you have to realize. Everything you do, you may have some support. You may not, but it's on you. You have to make the decision whether you want to be a badass or whether you want to just want to be mediocre and everything's okay. But being a badass hurts real bad. And that's why I didn't want to do it. So 
over the next two and a half months, I won't bore you know, bore with details, I lost the weight. I went back to the recruiter, and I went to BUDS, Navy SEAL training, and I was the only person in the history of Navy SEAL training to go through three Hell Weeks in one year. Hell Week is 130 hours of, of continuous training, and um, starts on Sunday, ends on Friday. You might get two hours of sleep, and I did all that in one year. Why did I do that in one year? Cuts the chase again. There was an old crusty commanding officer named Captain Bowen. Captain Bowen was an old Vietnam vet. This was his last tour of duty. And he believed, in over, so over 70 years this train has been going on, he believed no matter where you were at, you will start from day one if you don't make it through. So I get to Wednesday, ruptured hernia, back to day one, week one. Get to my, get to my second hell week, I get through that hell week, get ready to start second phase, break my kneecap. Roll back day one, week one. In my third hell week, I'm standing there, I have 16 stress fractures. So I have 16 stress fractures. This is me in my first hell week, I believe. So I have 16 stress fractures. I'm on my crutches. I'm looking at him. And he says, uh, Goggins, this is your last time you're going through training. You have four classes to get better. So I got hurt in May, had to come back in January from a broken kneecap, all kind of crap. Stress fractures, totally jacked up. So how I did it, I actually came back. Stress fractures don't heal really well. So I got through my third hell week of my third class, and in that hell week, we had a guy die of pulmonary edema. It was one of the coldest hell weeks on the planet. So what hell week is, is they freeze your butt off, and usually you get done freezing, and they try to warm you up. In this particular hell week, it just continued and continued to rain. So we never got warm. He ended up dying Wednesday night of pulmonary edema. So when I got through with hell week, my stress fractures were so bad, and I realized I can't go through training. I, I need to get rolled again. I'm broken. And he's like, no more rolls. And I remember that. So after this hell week, I said to myself, man, I can't even walk. I was on crutches again. But after hell week, you get walk week. And after walk week, you have 20 more weeks of getting your butt kicked. So I had a plan. My plan was to show up at 3.30 in the morning, put my black sock on, go in my dive cage, and get duct tape. And I would literally cast my feet up to the mid of my calf. And for the first 40 minutes of the run, that it would, I have a pressure, so I still have them now, pressure ulcers that are now healed up. But you can see the scars from deflection of the joint. So basically how, so, so what I did was I pretty much cast my ankle up my shin so I wasn't doing this and activating those stress fractures. So I ran on my hip flexors. For the first 45 minutes, the pain was so excruciating, but then after that, it would subside, and I would be able to finish the day out. The pain would come back. So I get done with SEAL training. I gained the weight back. I'm about 250 pounds, and have you guys heard the, of the story Lone Survivor? Marcus Luttrell is a great friend of mine. We speak on the Patriot Tour together. Um, I went through Bud's training with Danny Deese, Michael Murphy, Axe, and also uh, Marcus Luttrell. Marcus was the only guy that lived on this operation. It, it went bad. QRF team came in, Quick Reaction Force team came in of, of Navy SEALs. They got blown up. Everybody died but Marcus Luttrell. I was at Free Fall School with his twin brother, Morgan Luttrell, who's also a Navy SEAL. Heard about it, went home, Googled ways to raise money, Googled races, all this other stuff. What came up at 250, hadn't put running shoes on in over a year, was a race called the Badwater 135 where you run 135 miles 
in one day, pretty much 48 hours, and it's in Death Valley in summertime. I didn't know anything about this crazy world. I thought it was a stage race. I thought you ran like 10, 15 miles, camped out, barbecued, and then ran again. <laughs> so I called the race director up, Chris Kaufman. I said, hey, man, I want to do this race to raise money. He said, have you ran 100 miles before? I said, what, in the calendar year? He said, no, in one day. I called him up on a Wednesday, and he says, you only have two more races to qualify for my Badwater race. And basically, you have to run 100 miles in 24 hours. The race right there in San Diego that Saturday was called the San Diego One Day, where you run around a one-mile track for 24 hours. Haven't run in, you know, in basically a year. I said, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm a Navy SEAL. Bad idea. Go to Walmart, get a blue lawn chair, Ritz crackers, Mileplex, and um, that's my nutrition, people, for 400 miles. Pretty stupid, right? I have my ex-wife out there with me. She's crewing me. I get to mile 70. When you get to mile 70 and you haven't run past 20 miles in your life and you sit down for the first time, what do you think happens? Pretty jacked up, right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at three of my ex-wife, and I'm sitting there. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. And I said, um, it's, I'm kind of making it very abbreviated. In the book, it's a lot more than this, but I'm going to abbreviate it real quick. I asked her if she loved me. She said, yes, why? I said, I'm going to take a shit on myself right now. <laughs> because I couldn't stand up because my blood pressure was all messed up. Start peeing blood down my leg. She's a nurse, so she's freaking out. And there's one thing a black man never wants to hear, ever. She said, you're starting to turn white. <laughs> so this is where the 40% rule comes in, people. Worst shape my entire life. I've been through Ranger School, Delta Force Selection twice, three hell weeks, all this crap. This is the worst pain I've ever been in. To this day, I'm 43 years old right now. I did 21 years in the military. I've done 60 ultra races, pull-up records, all kind of stuff. This is the worst pain of my entire life to this day. But this is when I had to realize one thing. I had to break this humongous thing down to very small. All I put in my mind was, let's not quit yet. I'm going to quit, but not yet. So I sat there. I can't stand up. So let's get some nutrition. All right? I'm not dizzy anymore. Let me clean this crap off me. Okay? I need some food. I'm going to quit after I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. All right? But not yet. Let me see if I can stand up. Stand up. Maybe I'll quit. Let me see if I can walk to the car. Hmm, there's the car. It's a one-mile track. I'll walk past the car. I'm just going to get back to the chair. I'm not going to quit yet. I kept this mindset the whole time. I ended up doing 30 more miles. Did 31 miles, truly, after, after that. I did 101 miles in 19 hours. If you're driving a car, the car may say 130 miles an hour. The factory puts a governor on it, so you only go 91. So you're sitting there when to race somebody. They, they have no governor. They're fine. Boom. You can't, because every time you get to 91, the car starts doing this. Starts doing this. We put a governor on our brain. And the second we get to that governor, our bodies start doing this. Oh, this sucks. This is uncomfortable. No, 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 no. Let's go this way. Let's stop. It starts giving you all these questions that we cannot answer. If you can't answer the questions your brain is asking you, you quit. If you have the answers to those questions of why the hell am I out here, and you give it a quick answer, the brain starts shutting up because it knows why we're doing what we're doing. 
I started figuring these things out in my life. So we have this governor on our brain. And how you start pushing past that governor, start realizing your brain has the tactical advantage over you. Why? Because it knows your insecurities. It knows when you're lying. It knows your fears. It knows everything about you. And whenever those things start, like right now, I'm scared to death up here. Why? When I was in sixth grade, I was in a play. And I stood up for a whole bunch of white people that probably didn't, you know, I was being judged in my mind. Scared the shit out of me. And I stuttered severely bad. I knew I stuttered bad. My line was this long. It was like, hello or some shit. <laughs> and I stood up for everybody. And I was like this. And I walked off stage. So when I walk up in front of 1,200 people, it's still there. My mind's telling me, go. Run off the stage. I have to tell my mind something different. I have to remember my resume, what I've been through that all of you in here are just as fucked up as me. We post our real life never on Instagram. We post the life that we want to have out there. That's not me anymore. I'm going to tell you exactly about me, who I am. That's how you get better. That's how you fix yourself. That's how you grow. I'm going to move on real quick to the very end of my story. I could be up here for a long time, but I need some questions. I did everything I talked about up here. I ran 205 miles. I ran 7,000 miles in 2007 to raise $2 million for Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Thank you. I did it all with a hole in my heart the size of a dime. So basically, I was sick as hell, and I didn't get into all of this. Once again, all these stories in my book with all these takeaways that I have that, you know, I'm not a theorist, people. There's a bunch of people who are theorists who go to the library, study the mind. They study it in a book. I study it by being a practitioner. I put my mind in hell, and I realized how I was thinking. And I figured out tools and tactics on how to get through it by being in it, not by studying it, by being in it. And literally, that's how I started callousing over. You know how, so I did, what, I did 67,000 pull-ups in nine months, and it calloused my hands. It calloused my hands real good to protect my hands against the bar. I started learning how to callous my mind to callous over my victim's mentality. And that's what I did. So, back to the hole in my heart. Everything I talked about, three hell weeks, ranger school, running, swimming. I did triple Ironmans. I did all kind of crap. And when I got to about 33, 34 years old, I started being extremely sick. When you have an ASD, and, you, and so ASD is atrial septal defect, a lot of us are born with a hole in our heart. When we get to a certain age, it closes. Mine was very large. So basically, the good blood would give it the bad blood. So the oxygenated blood would be deoxygenated. And I was, so the bad blood was going through my body, long story short. And that's how I was doing everything. And so they sent me to John Hopkins. Everybody studied my body. They studied everything. And one guy says, you know what? We can't find anything on how you did all this. How are you able to do all this? A head guy came in from MIT. And he said, you know how he did it? <laughs> Understand something, people. We are leaving a lot on the table. My book is called Can't Hurt Me. Why is it called Can't Hurt Me? Life isn't fair. We have to understand that. It shouldn't be fair. It's a trial ground. It's a testing ground. It's built to make us harder. It's built to make us, 
as strong as we can to test us, to drive us. So mentality is the only thing that gets us through life. I was an underdog. We are all underdogs in life. Even the baddest person in the world should think that way. So you should always have I've never arrived mentality. And the can't hurt me mentality is no matter where you come from, the sewer or wherever you think you're from, when I got out of the sewer, I got to the road and looked around and said, can't hurt me. Nothing should be able to hurt you. If you believe that, it starts to become true. I pass it off to you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Continue strengthening your mind by listening to our other episodes.